Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. David, I'm not going to act like we didn't just talk off air for a little bit, but David, it's a pleasure to have you back on the show, man. I wanted to invite you back on to talk about the RFK assassination, a little bit more about the 60s, but welcome back, man. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on your show, man. Appreciate it. Now, I know you talk about political assassination with your students, but does that all like boil down from because JFK, MLK, and then you talk about the RFK assassination as well, too? That's correct. I mean, the predominant amount of my class that we're taken up with the JFK assassination, but it's easy to see the, the you know, the parallels in particular. I mean, they just keep coming up over and over again when you start to talk about both the assassination of Martin Luther King and the assassination of Bobby Kennedy. There, there are a lot of parallels that can't be ignored. Uh, and, you know, I think the unique thing about the RFK case is that it's still, in essence, a live case because Sirhan Sirhan, the accused assassin, uh, is still alive, approaching 80 years old, still rotting in jail in California, despite the fact that a parole board made a decision that he should have been paroled. And yet the governor of California, who I think has obvious political ambitions, uh, decided to have the power, actually, to, which is pretty unique, to override a parole board and deny his parole. And I think he, you know, the Kennedy family was split on the issue. RFK Jr., obviously running for president, was very much an advocate of seeing Sirhan's release and believed that he is either innocent or part of a greater conspiracy. But his family, some of his family members disagree with that. I think Newsom decided to you know, see which way the wind was blowing and decided it might be more politically uh, expedient to him to, to to deny this parole. So that, that's where we stand, despite the fact that people over the years have introduced enormous amounts of evidence that, that at the very least suggests conspiracy and maybe even Sirhan's innocence in this whole affair. Um, what's what's the political motivations? What's the political motivations for that? What's like the downside or political implications for that? Well, I mean, I think the, to be to be fair, I mean, if you and I say this about any politician, if you if you do anything that that has an appearance of siding with conspiracy, you know, that that's going to be a, a negative thing for a political figure. I mean, for if Joe Biden came out today, I've always said Joe Biden came out today and said, "Hey, look, I think there was a conspiracy." In the assassination of JFK, he'd get grilled, you know, as a, a conspiracy nut. Although I've, you know, I, I've someone I can speak to is very reliable who talked to Biden during the 2008 presidential campaign 15 years ago, where Biden confided to this man that I, I believe the CIA assassinated Kennedy, but I have more important things right now. I'm just giving you an example that a politician siding on Anything on the side of conspiracy is not is, is taking a, a very brave step that's probably not going to help their political career. And I, that's the best way I can dis describe. I know, but he, some he's, thinking there. he spent fifty years already in prison, so I'm just wondering what's the siding with conspiracy on that? I feel like that would be a served time, if anything. Yeah, I mean, he served the time, but. It's still the idea, you know, uh, the, the assassination of RFK should never be let free. Like, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm not I can't get into the minds of folks. But, you know, is, you know, why is is Sirhan still dangerous in any way? I mean, my, maybe paroling might 
might call more attention to the 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 case and and bring out more suspicion about what happened in, in Los Angeles. Maybe that that's part of the story. But nonetheless, Sirhan Sirhan still alive, and you know I, I think and still in jail. And I think you know it's a really difficult case to break down because you have to go into some pretty almost fringe areas you know if you're gonna you know hey how can you say saran saran wasn't shoot i mean wasn't an assassin he's that he was right there with the gun he pulled the trigger all these shots went off i mean how, how can saran possibly be anything other than the assassin of rfk and that requires more deeper looks at this thing as i told you off air i mean the one big difference i think between the JFK assassination and the RFK assassination, you had a, at the very least, a botched or or or, or manipulated autopsy in the case of the JFK assassination, whereas they took care to find someone they didn't want to hear hear any controversy, so they got Thomas Noguchi, who was probably the finest autopsy. I think he's Noguchi's still alive. He's so fine of an autopsy doctor that he put a towel over the uh, RFK's head because he didn't want his emotional attachment or, you know, emotions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Gucci probably the be- was the best or one of the best uh, pathologists in the country. And he stuck to his guns and says, no pun intended, and, and said that, you know, RFK was shot from behind and point blank, obviously with powder burns in the back of his head. You know, all the witnesses in the pantries suggested that that you know uh Sirhan was always in front of Kennedy and never more than a, and all and and uh, uh, never closer than a few feet away never in a position where he could have taken that point blank shot and th- that creates tremendous problems of course it was very convenient I think you you can say well the the, the jury found him guilty well uh, you know the 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 Sirhan Sirhan trial on by every appearance looks as as a much of a railroad job as anything you could possibly see you almost say it, it would you'd have to wonder if the same thing would have happened if oswald would have been alive that he would have been railroaded in the same way that sirhan sirhan was the autopsy the most explosive evidence was not released in or presented at trial i mean who was defending our uh, sirhan sirhan why did they cut why didn't they bring these things up? And there's a good answer to that. Uh, again, I know these are things that maybe you've heard or gone over, but uh, the lawyer who was placed, brought in to defend Sir Hansen was named Grant Cooper. And there's some very suspicious things about that. I mean, Cooper, prior to uh, his defense of Sir Han, was defending one Johnny Roselli. And I know you know about him, the whole case associated with the Roselli and and this ultimately his you know suspicious death himself in the 70s before he was supposed to suspicious he got chopped up and thrown in a fucking barrel (laughs) you know and he was he was a mob guy who had obvious CIA connections but Cooper was put in a in a pretty precarious situation with that Roselli trial Uh, there were files from the prosecution that were found in Roselli's trial on Cooper's desk. And the automatic thing was, well, 
Cooper has somehow got his hands on prosecution files. He could be disbarred for this. He wasn't. Was that was that the thing that 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 got Cooper all of a sudden to defend? You know, uh, Sirhan Sirhan, if you want to call it defense, did somebody have the goods on him and put him in a position almost where he'd be blackmailed into some sort of non-defense of his new client, Sirhan Sirhan? Those are speculations that some folks have and know more about than I. I think, you know, when you look at the case itself, this is where you have to go into that's you know, into that fringe area, but it is what it is. Uh, the The idea that Sirhan Sirhan may have been hypnotized, I believe he was, by all signs and behavior before and after, even even the fact that the, you know, that Sirhan Sirhan could not remember anything, they actually put him under hypnosis. Uh, you know, it wasn't like it's some, you know, odd fringe thing that out of the air. No, they actually hypnotized Sirhan Sirhan that the the defense team to try to, or, or I'm not sure defense or the court order that to try to get him to remember. And he's still like, it was almost blocked from his memory. Uh, if you want, want to hear something, you should get your hands on the, uh, the actual audio recording. Shane O'Sullivan's done a, a great uh, do, a video documentary that's out there where he actually has the audio recording of Sirhan when they had him under hypnosis and they tried to get him to, you know, come out. Yeah. Where they were saying, there he is, shoot him, sir. Han, shoot him, shoot him, shoot him. Yeah. And, 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 uh, the, the, they still can't get to it. Uh, I, I know that there's, you know, the obvious thing, I mean, life imitating art maybe with the Manchurian candidate, uh, which is a terrific film. It was done by Sinatra in, I think, in 62, and then was redone by, uh, geez, about 10 years ago, right? Uh, I know the book John Marks wrote, Manchurian Candidate. Yeah, and that, you know, the 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 uh, consultant to that movie was a guy named Brian, who is uh, known to be a CIA mind control expert. Uh, you know, you look at some of the research some folks like Lisa Peace has done is that that, that Brian was talkative after the assassination. They even bragged to prostitutes that he might have been the guy that hypnotized Saran Saran. He was certainly capable of it, uh, which is rather ironic because the if Brian was the consultant on the movie Manchurian Candidate in 1962, uh, the 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 producer of the movie venturing candidate was good friends with bobby kennedy kennedy stayed at his house uh when he was campaigning out there prior to his assassination so some ironies there but it, it may, to me it makes sense uh that you know that sirhan not necessarily i think you know the cia delved into these things in the 1950s with the with with mk ultra uh, artichoke where they, you know, consider whether or not you could do something like this. I mean, I put more weight into it after learning more about MK Ultra. I think it makes a lot more sense. And then there was the one of the obvious signs of of mind control was the fact that, you know, uh, Sirhan's diary had RFK must die, RFK must die over and over again, hundreds of times, was a sign of automatic writing that 
someone susceptible to or gone through hypnosis might have done when they did break hypnosis when they did try to speaking of the legal people afterwards you know they they determined that Sirhan was one of the most susceptible folks to hypnosis that you could find the, the guy that was uh, uh his name escapes me actually gave him a command to to climb up the jail cell like a monkey and Sirhan did it so uh you know there's a lot of stuff there uh you know that you know like I, I think you, you mentioned prior to that some folks have some different opinions about that whether or not Sirhan was shooting live bullets uh, or not. I think you're familiar with that. I tend to think he wasn't. I mean, I, I know that I, I tend to think that from what we can determine witnesses and so on, that 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 Sirhan was probably firing blanks for a couple of reasons. The people that saw the shots in the pantry saw bright flashes coming out of the gun, which is indicative of, of, of blanks plus it sounded several witnesses said it sounded more like a cat gun than a real gun again a sign of of uh of possible blanks and if you're going to set this thing up if you're going to put other people in place to actually kill bobby kennedy you don't want them to get shot i, I it makes perfect sense to me why would you have somebody you got a patsy down there in enclosed areas spraying bullets around the, the people that are assigned the task could very well have been shot themselves it may it makes sense if that, that that would have been the scenario but i understand you know those people who do the research on this are are very split on that what we do know is one of the top acoustical experts in the world did this for cnn i don't know 11 or 12 years ago and and determined that were you know there were probably 15 16 or upwards shots acoustically in, in the pantry was to you know they probably had evidence of more than eight shots in the pantry already with the shot that was on the door jam that was that disappeared with the la pd so more shots that were in sirhan's gun you know is that the, was that the magic gun uh, the fact that witnesses say after two shots or so that Sir Han's hand was dead was was kept down towards the floor. So you know, I, there's basic evidence that people take time to look at create enormous suspicions. And again, I know you probably heard a lot of those things, and I think that's why I have some. What you are know, your thoughts on the destruction of documents or destruction of evidence when it comes to the LAPD? Well. I think because this isn't like JFK with like we could talk about the CIA, we could talk about military industrial complex. I do think it might have been a military industrial complex. It has to be a little bit more than just LAPD. But I think in that case, you have like mysterious figures, you have mobsters. And in this one, I don't see a whole lot of the mobsters or individual rogue elements of the CIA. I just kind of see a patsy and then you kind of see LAPD's destruction, whether that's them just saying – this is the low nut we need to get. Yeah, and it, it is a harder the video. trail to follow down. I agree, but you, you have to. Uh, a couple of the CIA guy, the, the two guys, and their names escape me. Hernandez and I forget the other name. The two, the two police officers, you know that did uh, uh, that were put in charge of the investigation by the LAPD. I mean, they they had spent special unit center. It was called those guys. 
were brought back from Latin America, guess what, doing training with guess who, the CIA. Then all of a sudden, they're in charge of gathering evidence, interrogating witnesses. Uh, Sandra Serrano, who might have been the most important witness, who saw, you know, a woman along with a, a someone else running out the door yelling, we, we shot Kennedy, we shot Kennedy. Well, they, you, there's another thing. You can listen to the uh, audio recording of those two police officers breaking down Serrano, telling him, no, no, you're ruining the Kennedy name. And the, for God's sakes, you can't say this. And they badgered her until she changed her story. And the LAPD did make evidence disappear, did destroy evidence afterwards. You know, their whole, I think that part of that might have been actual CIA infiltration on the part of these two officers. And I think there was also a big movement afoot that the, the authorities in L.A. kept saying, we don't want another Dallas. We don't want another Dallas. Well, they already got another Dallas. You know, the, 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 the RFK was shot on their watch. They should they should have moved heaven and earth to get to the bottom of it. But their thing was, okay, we're going to squelch all the conspiracy theories right away. And that meant, you know, you know, you know, not talking to witnesses or badgering witnesses, making evidence disappear, making everything fit in a nice, neat, although it wasn't very neat package, especially with the ballistics, which were ridiculous. Uh, and yet, you know, I, so I think the answer is in some ways, much like the, the, the JFK assassination, does it mean that everybody on the Warren commission was on it, you know, on the, uh, on the, uh, uh, conspiracy line or what did a lot of folks involved with, with investigating the case, whether it was in, in Dallas or Los Angeles interested in, you know, avoiding conspiracy at all costs, you know, making sure that everybody's satisfied that the lone nut was the guy and end of story, you know, tie up all the loose ends. I think the blank uh, thing has a simple approach. I think the blank thing has a lot of weight to it because if you kind of examine it from, if you believe Oswald was a patsy, nobody saw him up there or saw like there's a guy up in the window shooting shots out there they kind of just you know everything's everybody scattered everyone which whichever way but they never physically saw oswald holding a rifle firing at kennedy you know what i mean so you get to the rfk case now you have a patsy but everyone sees the shots but if you give them blanks then everyone just sees the spectacle aspect of it and that could be a more perfected method to get rid of somebody that could be a threat to what I would call I – wouldn't, I wouldn't say the deep state, but it would be a threat to probably the government's power, the military-industrial complex idea, which I'm starting to see more of. I mean we, we have evidence of that with COINTELPRO, uh, invasion into Black Panther parties, invasion into KKK, invasion into any groups you want to name that were – be, I guess, considered a threat to the original ways of thinking of the military-industrial complex. So it makes well, sense I, I they're think, testing out their methods. I think that you you have to – the major motive – I think there were two major motivations for eliminating Bobby Kim. One, it kind of relates to what you're talking about, the Vietnam War. You know, I mean, with his decision to – come out directly against the Vietnam War, uh, putting him in opposition to, like you said, the military-industrial complex, to Lyndon, to Lyndon Johnson. And then the other thing I think is very important is I, I think 
behind the scenes, it was becoming obvious that RFK had very every intention of getting to the bottom of what happened with, with his brother. Uh, and he said, you know, he, on the on the uh, campaign trail, he told college students, only the power of the presidency will give me the opportunity to find out what the truth about what my brother's death was. Was you know he, he was he was quietly, not so much publicly, letting it be known. Probably a huge mistake that he was going to get to the bottom of what happened to JFK, and that put some people, I think, in some real danger. I think that might have been a a crucial factor in making the decision to to act in terms of what happened in Los Angeles once Bobby Kennedy obviously had the nomination. When you think of it that way, I mean, they didn't kill him until, you know, he wins the California primary. Then it's obvious that he's going to be president of the United States, where he's going to be a direct threat to maybe those that 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 were involved with what happened in, in Dallas in 1963. I mean, that to me, that's the, the best easiest answer if you're willing to accept the idea there was a conspiracy in in los angeles well i look at these like a continuum that's why i was mentioning the oswald patsy scenario like if that was a trial run and then you get to see a more perfected method with the sirhan aspect and you can just keep going on through however long it takes for them to get rid of somebody and what they perfected it to now i mean look at media for instance Media back then was getting your journalists to fall in line and reporters and all this, and we see pretty perfected, well-displayed media now. It seems like everybody's pitching a narrative, and now nobody wants to even talk about it. So I just kind of look at all these like in a continuum of the military-industrial complex. Like They just kept a lot of these slip-ups that we keep cashing at the Kennedy stuff, all this type of stuff where we see government corruption. We can expose that, but they were never stopped on it. Like when you read the church committee – what happened after the church committee? Did the CIA lose power at all? Or no, it just kind of kept on going. And just, I feel like these are unchecked powers that kept going. So I look at these all like a continuum of events to string along. Well, I think, you know, I, I've always taken a position. A lot of folks that probably would disagree with me. I, I, I feel like that what, what, once there was more light on, on the, on the CIA after the church committee, after, you know, you go fast forward another 10 years and, and you know, the, the Congress passed legislation that assassination should not be part of governmental policy. I, I think it's more, I don't think the CIA is running around assassinating people in 2020, you know, or, or 2023. I think they're, they're still involved have been in this century still involved and engaged in some some very questionable things to say the least I don't think they have the carte blanche abilities like they did in the 1960s to be no. completely it's uh, called mean, character assassination type now. of scrutiny in that respect in terms of engaging in political assassinations even domestic political assassinations which is it's what we call character assassinations. What's that? It's a character assassination is what it is now. It evolved into a character assassination because look what the times that we're using more technology. I mean, when Robert F. Kennedy Jr. announced his presidency, immediately they're saying anti-vax presidential candidate and all. It's, it's, that's an easier way than killing somebody is getting rid yeah, of it. It is in, in, so, in some ways. I mean, it's in some ways it's – I think it's almost – again, I don't know if it's – as planned or as contrived, but I think what has happened is that the media has almost become 
it's, it's almost like the, the I, I used to describe it as a Pavlov's dog response, like that, you know, they, they, uh, they don't even need to be told anymore to attack anybody from a conspiracy angle. They, they just automatically do it. Uh, you know, in the, in the 1980s, uh, or late 80s, early 90s, actually, uh, a huge scandal occurred uh, with a guy by the name of Gary Webb. I'm sure you're familiar with that name. Webb was a was a guy who exposed the fact that the CIA was, you know, through a court case in California, was involved in, you know, funneling crack cocaine onto the streets of the United States in order to fund Iran-Contra, you know, missions in, in Latin America. And ultimately, you know, I mean, Webb started publishing his stories on the internet and got huge following. And just there was just this automatic through the San San Jose Mercury News. But then all of a sudden, there's this huge backlash from the big media outlets, the LA Times, New York Times, Washington Post. They all went after why are you guys publishing these stories? You know, and, and I'm not sure the CIA even needed to tell those people to do it. It's just like it an automatic response. You know, it, it's, it was ironic that when the CIA was forced to review their, what happened with the, that, you know, the whole thing with the Iran-Contra and potential drug running and crack and all that, they actually did a report which kind of admitted they were connected to these people years later and nobody paid attention. The, 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 the same newspapers that that castigated Webb and the San Jose Mercury News for reporting this story. You didn't see them writing any, you know, apologies about they they didn't get it right. That Webb probably had it right. No, it's an it's an automatic response by the media these days. I think that they're going to go, at least much of the media, they're going to go after or be very suspicious of anyone that implies anything conspiratorial about anything. Is you know, it's a dirty word. They don't, they, they feel like they're compelled to have to go after it, not bothering to take a look. Well, maybe there are facts of conspiracy here that we need to look at. You know, it's not just fantasy. So that, that's my opinion. I don't know if the CIA has to motivate the media that, these days. That's what I'm telling you. I think they just, it's an automatic response. I think the relationship the conspiracy is, side. I think the relationship has grown for a long time. And I think at this point now it's like you're saying how it's they don't even have to say anything. It just kind of happens. Um, they're pretty connected at the hip, which sucks because I mean, looking more deeper into the sixties and seventies, I've been really obsessed with like the counterculture movement, so much that was going on at the times, but the RFK case, I find a lot more people that would have said that there isn't a conspiracy in the JF case, they would say that there's conspiracy in the RF case. A common example or a good example is Vincent Buculosi, who I do not like, but he also said there was conspiracy or he didn't believe the full story of the RFK case, which I thought was interesting. I'm just curious if your students have the reception. I don't know if they're in all the way on the JFK conspiracy, but does the RFK one kind of make it a little suspicious? I mean, it's two brothers. It's same thing. One lone nut is what they're saying. It's a, that's a little bit suspicious. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, as I said, I, I try to lay out both stories and it, and, uh, you know, the logical conclusion is that if you're, if, if you're at that point where you believe something sinister happened in Dallas, and then 
five years later, his brother, who's in the same position, who may well have been in a position to to uh, expose those things. If you can't see the connection and the potential, you know, it, it it's almost if you're open minded logically. And I and again, I always say college students are probably more impressionable, more open minded than folks older than them. It's not hard to get to that next point and say, look, something smells here too. Something, something. There's something connective here. Out both these men and then obviously King as well could be, you know the 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 liberal political leadership of the United States in the 1960s was basically systematically eliminated in a five year period. Uh, and why? Ask the question why and what direction the country went because of it. You know, it's to me, it's like it, it's so tragic. And obviously, I mean, where would the country have gone if JFK had remained alive? But you can also even as much or more ask the same question, where would we be as a country if RFK had been elected president in 1968, where we could have gone in such a different direction, even then for the betterment of the country. But we were denied that, you know, by, by assassination. So here we are. You know why the Kennedy family is split on the whole Sirhan issue? I mean, it's like with Robert Kennedy Jr., obviously, I don't think he thinks Sirhan did it. Paul Schrade didn't think he did it either, which I feel like adds a lot of weight for me to get on board that Sirhan wasn't involved in any sense. Um, yeah, I understand he had a gun and everything. but I think the difference was is that Bobby Kennedy Jr. took the time. I mean, before you dismiss him as a some conspiracy nut, and, and again, there's some things. I'll be honest with you. I'm not, there's some things about Bobby Kennedy Jr. I'm not on board with. I think he's upside down on some things like Ukraine and stuff like that. But to his credit, he he took the time to go and talk. He went out to California. He talked to Paul Schrade, who knew his dad and was a witness and was shot himself. You know, he he, he uh, did his own personal investigation about Sirhan Sirhan and looked at the information and the documentation and and made a logical conclusion that something something went wrong here that something went something went down i don't think that you know i think the some of the other kennedy family probably haven't taken the time to force again what what's the you know you talk about i mean there was a i'm going to bring a little sociology in here to you okay oh god it's the one topic i, I don't even know what it means study by a famous sociologist named william zellner uh it was called, it was about auto side. And uh, it was about the idea that Americans, though not, we didn't really weren't aware of it, were actually killing themselves, committing suicide with their cars, with auto fatalities. And yet the, the law enforcement across the country uh, wasn't really getting to the bottom of this. Why? What's the easy answer? The easy answer is the easy way out is just to accept the, you know, sweep it under the rug and take the easy road, say, you know, the guy, it was an accident. Or do you actually dig in and investigate something and open your mind up to it? I would say, I'm, the reason why I brought that analogy up, I would say the Kennedy family, much of them probably are just taking the easy way out that, you know, let's just accept the official findings and leave it at that and not and not get too deep into the controversy, you know, 
50 years down the road or 60 years down the road in the case of JFK's death. And I also think politics played a huge role. There's so many members of the Kennedy family that are politically involved, engaged still. Again, there's that same problem. If you want to be involved in politics, you meet, you you need to be detached from anything associated with conspiracy. So I think I think those are your answers about why at least some of the Kennedy family has very been very resistant towards any notion of conspiracy associated with the death of JFK RFK, but not so much with Bobby Kennedy Jr., who's been much more open-minded about it. So do you have anything about the RFK case that you just won't touch that you feel like is just like what I would call the red herring in the case? Like the tippet scenario is kind of a red herring in the JFK case because it'll get you lost on so many aspects of things. Um, but some people consider it really important. The, I, I, I really, you know, I, I, you know, again. Like where the hell did the shots come from? Was it the guy behind him? Because they had the, and the, the, the tie they clipped out all, out on the magazine on the ground in the cover photo for time magazine with Bobby Kennedy laying there. I did not know was another person's tie. And I guess it makes sense. If you look at the photo, I think you might be able to see Robert Kennedy's tie, but Caesar's tie. Yeah. That's falling backwards. And you grab the tie. Was it that guy? That's who I think it was. Well, I, I think, you know, why did he go to the Philippines to die? He said, to get away from, I would say, I said, bullshit. I would say, (laughs) the strongest case as to who actually, you know, took the fatal shot on, on RFK to be Thane Eugene Caesar, who, who, as you said, uh, there's just so many things there about him. Again, you talked about the military industrial complex. Well, that guy worked, I believe for Howard Hughes prior to. No shit. Yeah. What's that now? I said, no shit. That's crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was a security guard for, for the for the folks connected to Howard Hughes, and, and he, you know, he had right wing leanings. Uh, he's hired at the last minute. His gun conveniently disappears after, you know, it was never examined ballistically. Uh, a lot of controversy about the gun. Uh, there was some that said he, that he, they thought it saw him shooting. He definitely even admitted himself he pulled his gun. He said he was pulling his gun because there were shots fired. But he was the obviously the, the if in fact you were running an honest investigation, if the, if this wasn't so politically motivated, if the uh, you know the the folks out in California, the legal folks out there were really interested in justice, the moment they had an autopsy that suggested he was shot from point blank from behind, you start looking who was point blank from behind, and there's a the answer is pretty obviously Thane Eugene Caesar. Why did they? Why did he give? Why did he conveniently live, leave the country and live the rest of his life in the Philippines, man? I mean, it's pretty easy to fill in the blanks there, isn't it? I mean, the, the, to me, could have is it possible somebody else was shooting? I think so. Again, are you going? You know, put apply the reason I apply for my students in Dallas. If you're going to shoot the president in Dallas, Texas. Or you're going to shoot a presidential candidate at the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles. You better shoot him. You better make sure you don't have one person down there. You better have multiple shooters. You better make sure you get the job done. So that makes me think that that the you know Sirhan Sirhan, the program Patsy who couldn't remember anything, 
and was susceptible to mind control uh, in front, you know, gets everybody's attention. And then uh, shooters from another direction make sure the job gets done. I think it, to me, that's the obvious thing about what happened in Los Angeles. I'm, I don't think I'm as certain about the power behind it, but I think it's easy to speculate, as you said, folks that, you know, that had the motive to make sure Kennedy would never be president of the United States. Has there been other political assassinations that are of that scale when it comes to, I know Reagan was fired at, um, but MLK died, Malcolm, I mean, Malcolm X, RFK, JFK. Was, I mean, are there parallels with them all? I'm not saying the Reagan one, but parallels with obviously MLK, RFK, JFK. But then you left out George Wallace. (laughs) I mean, Wallace is another guy. It's, you know, I just, it's all seems so convenient that these lone assassins always made their appearance to eliminate folks that were problems politically for whomever that was in power. That's what I'm saying. We haven't had a whole lot of lone assassins come out now and start doing that whole entire thing. And we haven't had them. I don't think I've seen any in the nineties or any in the really in the late. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, uh, you, you you know, you you have to question the the Lennon assassination. These, these lone nuts that make their appearance, John Lennon, who, you know, I'm not saying this is the motivation, but I do know this, that Lennon was a guy that was very outspoken about the JFK assassination himself before he was assassinated. And the doorman was at the Bay of Pigs. I mean, these folks just, this, you know, George Wallace was a, you know, in 1972 was a potential threat, you know, to as a third party candidate to pull votes away from Richard Nixon. And all of a sudden, you know, he's, he's shot on the campaign trail by Arthur Brimmer who had weird connections. I mean, I I don't know. I mean, what do you think about Hale Boggs? Well, I mean, Boggs did die under suspicious circumstances. Uh, and of course he's another guy that, uh, came out publicly though he was on the Warren commission basically said he didn't believe it he wanted an alternative alternative uh, opinion on what happened to the Warren commission and he did, it wasn't allowed that and uh you know I, again a, a ways to to eliminate folks is, is you know has been apparent you know in in our you know in the 1960s 1970s 19 you know how far do we go here? You know, is it the possibility of political assassination as a tool to eliminate opposition? It's it's a to me, it's very realistic. It's it's very difficult to definitively prove. I understand that, but well, it is so convenient, right? When these people are eliminated. When you, it's crazy because whenever someone says no, that can never happen here, and then you talk about another country where they might do a political assassination, another country does it, or something happens in another country, they'll go, oh, yeah, well that's over there, and it's like, well, it's we're not exempt from the whole, you know, field of warfare. That's the scariest thing about like what technology we use. Like if you look at the bioweapons history and how that warfare started to evolve before they did the, the ban treaty. I mean, you could still fight the point if they're still using biological weapons, but. There's a whole thing where when you introduce a new weapon, like introducing the atom bomb, not 
soon later everyone else started to get their own devices and things of that sort it's like upgrading the warfare tactics and at this point now with the political realm more domestically you start seeing these assassinations come out especially in the 60s and 70s i mean fred hampton's another one i would put up there i don't think he was necessarily a threat to the military industrial complex but he was definitely a threat to the fbi uh j edgar hoover in particular much probably as mlk was but that was more of chicago police error and a lot of issues going on with them that was never really fully done. Uh, Justice for Fred Hampton is another one, but there's a bunch of that stuff. Dag Hammarskjöld is a good example. Going to the Congo and his plane goes down. I mean, that's still speculating. The UN in 2013 tried to investigate that one. Yeah, I, it's again, it's some of those things that you know I know less of or more of. Uh, you know, in terms of my own personal knowledge, but but uh, it it. It's a it's a fact that you know this reality that assassination used as a mechanism or a tool uh, for for political ambitions or 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 power. I mean, uh, you go down to the. I mean, it's not like that. <laughs> I just speak of this in a. I use this and sometimes when I speak about the idea that go back to the period of imperial crisis in Rome 2,000 years ago, where Rome went through a period where there were like, at least a 50-year period, there was like something like 22 political coup d'etats and assassinations in a 50-year period that, that over those 50 years, no one took left the power as head of state peacefully. <laughs> I mean, it... And, you know, so it's not like that assassination and coup d'etats and plots haven't been there throughout history. It's not like all of a sudden in the 20th century or the 21st century that, hey, we've evolved beyond that now. I mean, uh, no, I mean, it's, it's a, you know, a lot of obviously a lot of discussion about when you look at Putin and Russia and how he has conveniently made all his political opponents disappear, they talk about, you know, you know, if you're an opponent of Putin, you better not ever be having an apartment on the second floor of a building, right? I mean, you know, it's not like this is just something that's, you know, immune, that we're not immune to as, as human beings. The, the use of Machiavelli said that, uh, people will lie, cheat, steal, and kill, murder to gain and maintain power. And that was maybe 500 years ago. But I ask you the question, have things really ever changed? Uh, maybe not. Maybe Machiavelli, as cynical as he was, had, had an had a, had a, had a, had a, an a accurate idea of what politics could become in many places. Well, you have an important job because when you're teaching this to your students about political assassinations, like it's especially one that's important, like the RFK one, which I do you know why it doesn't really get talked about a whole lot? Like it's not one of the like the obviously it's not as big as the JFK one, but like the the public doesn't really hear a whole lot about the RFK assassination. It's more like everyone I think knows about the JFK assassination or whatever. Yeah, well, yeah. they should be. I mean, it's it's I mean, I, I you're right. And the public you know, and that might be a, you know, one of the benefits of the RFK Jr. candidacy is that, you know, there are some where that would be something no one would ever even discuss anymore on the political trail. I mean, he's being asked these questions 
about what happened to his father, what happened to his uncle, and he's being honest about it. So I think in some ways his candidacy, though, you know, again, like you said, he's been attacked on a lot of other levels, is raising awareness to this story that, you know, that we need to take a look, another look about what happened in Los Angeles. We need to take another look about what happened in Dallas, that these things, uh, there's, there's a darker, sinister side to American politics. And it's all part of the, you know, again, I, I've said this over and over again, but, you know, if we're going to have any semblance of democracy in this country, uh, democracy is much harder. And you have got to you have got to have truth and justice. You've got you got to expose the the lies. You've got to expose the corruption, no matter how dark and sinister it is. That's how you maintain a democracy by getting to the truth. We, you know, if you want to be a fascist state, an authoritarian who's calling all the shots, you don't need it. You don't need truth. You just need to whatever we're told. Like you know. Uh, back to 1984, Orwell saying the final, my final commandment, right? If paraphrasing from right, is that you'll, you know, you'll ignore what the facts in front of you. You only believe what you're told. That is, you know, in, in, with a democracy, we you'll need have nothing and you'll justice. like it. What's that? Says you'll have nothing and you'll like it. Exactly, and, and we have got to to pursue those things i don't care there's no statute of limitations on justice uh 60 years down the road 50 years you know 55 years down the road we we need answers to these things we need you know we need our uh, uh, adjustment of history i mean uh you know another great quote by hl minkin said that uh Injustice is relatively easy to bear. What stings is justice. It will sting if if we get to the point where we say, look, we have to be honest with folks here. Something happened in Los Angeles. You know, this was a political assassination or in Dallas. Yeah, that might have an adverse effect on our institutions temporarily. But at the same point in time, going forward, knowing those truths, we can hopefully prevent those things from happening again. Um, I mean, that, that's the essence of democracy. If, you know, if we, if we have a functioning one at all. When it comes to the RF case, I just got one, I don't want to call it a big question, but it's a question. Uh, the importance of understanding the RF case when you teach it with your kids, do you find that a lot of them are getting interested in the Sirhan trial? Because I've been becoming more interested in Sirhan's whole everything that's going on with him to see if there's any. I know there's people fighting to try and get him out, but I'm just interested if kids are picking up on why that is so important, like the historical accuracy, not just for historical context of understanding like real history and getting truth out of the matter, but also this guy's life is kind of being tossed around like it's a ball at a Nickelback concert. It's not good. So I'm just yeah curious. Yeah. I mean I, you know, I, I'm sure again, anyone, students, young, old, anyone else should be, you know, 
saddened by what's happened to Sir Hans Rand, the idea that, you know, what's my what's my favorite movie? I always tell everybody in class, Shawshank Redemption. You know, I mean, you've seen the movie Shawshank where a guy spends much of his life in jail for the the you know for a murder of his wife which he didn't do uh, you know in, in the end of the movie as he get he finds his way out of that but here's an example where injustice has been permanently implied to sir hands or hand you, who wants to see an innocent man rot in jail his entire life i mean i mean that's a story that everyone should feel but too often times you know like i said this rush to judgment you know and oh we can't how could you possibly let uh, someone go free that assassinated rfk well maybe he's innocent you know i mean and, and that's why he should go free but you know here we are you know do you find that when you do the conferences that more people are interested. Is it, they're not just specifically JFK, they're MLK and all that as well too, right? So do you have a lot of people that are interested in the RFK one as well? And just because they might be interested in the JFK one, I think my grandma got interested in the RFK assassination specifically because it was so weird with the JFK assassination. Well, definitely. I mean, uh, every conference we hold, including the one in Dallas, in no, this coming November, we also have speakers talk about both the RFK assassination and its conspiratorial elements and also the MLK story as well. We definitely have good speakers in those things. Our, again, the JFK side of things predominates, but you mentioned Pete Hymans, who was on your show earlier. He, he's one of the guys that will be speaking in Dallas about the RFK assassination in November, along with some other really good uh William Law was terrific on both the RFK JFK case, uh, and a lot of a lot of researchers have been involved with both William Claber, a uh, really good journalist who's again covered both the JFK and RFK story. He will be in Dallas. Uh, those are those are some examples of some folks that that uh, will have speaking in Dallas about specifically the RFK assassination. Well, I appreciate the time you gave me, David, to talk on my show about the RFK case. Like I said, I'm getting into it a little bit. Um, I had to take a break from the JFK stuff a little bit, but I realized the importance in the RFK one as well, too. And plus, I started seeing now that I'm hearing the actual story from a lot of people and reading it a little bit myself, I'm seeing a lot of parallels. Um, the difference, obviously, was the autopsy, like you mentioned as well, too. Um, which I think is like hard to dismiss any evidence that comes from someone that they went and got a respected person to do. But I haven't really seen any uh, lone nuts or anybody that's fighting that there wasn't a conspiracy in the RFK case yet. But like I said, I'm still just diving into it. So I'll probably come across it at some point. Um, but oh, yeah, there... you, you probably there's probably not as much resistance to it. Like you see it, man, they're, they're all over the place with the Dallas JFK thing, but probably because it's not as if it was scrutinized more, you those people, I guarantee you, they would come out of the woodwork <laughs> to 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 be the counterweight, right? Uh, they would be there if they felt like they needed to be there. But uh, where can people find your links, David? Uh, again, we information and again, uh, up, upcoming conference in Dallas is being spoken of there. But uh, if you go to JFKhistorical.com or just or if you just put in uh, on Google JFK Historical Group, it'll take you right to our website, all the information about 
stuff that's coming up. We welcome people to to look at that. Encourage people to come to our conference in November in Dallas for the 60th anniversary. It's going to be an incredible event, and not just focusing again, as you said, on on Dallas and what happened to JFK, but we'll also have, as I mentioned, great speakers on the MLK and RFK assassinations. If folks are particularly interested about that as well, okay. Did um one? This is one last question, but the JFK stuff, the documents that they said they're not going to release anymore. Did you see that with the Biden, the White House? What What are your thoughts on that? I'm disappointed. I think it's that's not. I mean, they have released a, a couple thousand more. I, I'm my intention is to go through them one more time, and here probably the next month or two. I've been so busy working on the developing the conference we're having. I'd like to go and see if there's anything that would slip through the cracks. It's pretty obvious there. There's a number of documents, the, the some of the most sensitive documents that are still being withheld uh, on on folks like uh, George Joannides, uh, the CIA guy that Jefferson Morley's been trying to get free. Uh, a guy, uh, Gordon McClendon out of Texas is a very important connective piece between the CIA and, and Texas. So there's still things there that are very important we haven't got a chance to see. I are only I think I think the Biden administration probably looking at more from a clerical standpoint about they've been maybe told by the the you know the our national archives there's too much trouble here we can't get these things I, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes is there some pressure from the national security apparatus probably but I know there's some good people that are going to that are involved in some that have a very good legal uh standing to challenge that ruling because that law specifically you know the congress passed a law that they haven't overturned that said all that stuff has got to be released under unless it's some just a you know justifiable reason so we'll see well and how this is handled in court i'm still hopeful we can still do something but it is saddening though isn't it yeah, especially the people that thought like, oh, next year they're going to have all the documents finally released and those people are no longer with us. And now they're just saying, oh, we don't have to give these to you. I'm like, you could have said that in the beginning and saved everybody the 60 years of just constantly waiting and waiting and waiting, thinking that you're going to do it. And I don't know, just it's not right. Um, obviously, I came out at the, at the end. I've only been in the JFK assassination for a year, but my heart goes out to the people that are no longer with us that were waiting for those. Um, but Exactly. The clock's running. In some cases, running out, right? Yeah. But I appreciate the time, David. And thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. And stay tuned for our next.